It is in your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And our children, kids, up to uh, fifth grade, you may follow out Pastor Micah and uh, participate in Kids Church. So good to have you all here with us. Aren't we blessed with the worship team that we have? I just so appreciate uh, all their work in helping to lead us as a church in, in worship. Uh, we started a series last week on a biblical church. So good to see you, Trisha and, and Tom. This couple has been through a lot, so so glad to see, see them here. Um, but we started a series last week on a biblical church, and uh, one of the things that Pastor remi- reminded us of as we went to Ephesians chapter 1 is that we are a church who our reason for existing is for the praise of God's glory. And we, we want to understand more and more as a church that what that means is not just what we do here on Sunday morning in this place, but as we live out our lives Monday through Saturday, that that is very much a part of what we as a church are all about. And this morning we're going to dive into that subject of worship as that being one of the purposes that God has for us as a church. And we're going to be looking in the Isaiah chapter 6. So you can turn with me to Isaiah 6. And this is actually an experience that one of God's prophets, Isaiah, had with worship. And we're going to be using Isaiah's experience of worship here to help flesh out for us as a church what it means for us uh, to worship. If you look at the first five chapters of Isaiah, it tells us of a very dark time in uh, the history of God's people. And it's so appropriate for our time because of many of the things that we, we are currently experiencing. I was listening to a podcast the other morning. It was talking about the fact that within the last year, the death rate in the U.S. has risen 20%. It's hard to get our minds around that. And just not only in the U.S., but so many places in our world. I was watching a news report the other evening about what's going on in Brazil right now, and Julie and I just have such a burden for some of the things that are happening there. Actually, the the highest amount of deaths per day in the world due to COVID is happening in Brazil. We actually lost a very good missionary friend of ours in his 40s, Uh, last month due to COVID. And it was a very dark time for God's people here in Isaiah. You go to chapter 2, verse 5 of Isaiah. Isaiah makes this statement. He says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And that was his call to God's people. God has Revealed to us who he is. He has shown us his glory. He has given us his light. He's called us as his people to enjoy that relationship with him and fellowship with him and be be a shining light of that to our world. In God's presence, there's blessing and there's joy. And God had called his people to to be to be a people who experienced that in their, in their midst so that as the watching world was looking, they would say, we want that God to be our God because under His rule there's blessing and there's joy. And yet that's not at all what was happening. If you look at the end of chapter 5, verse, verse 30, it says this, in that day, talking about the day of 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 God's justice being poured out, God being a good God, His love requires His justice where there is wrong and evil. And He said, In that day they will roar against them and like the roaring of the sea. And if, if one looks to the land, to the, to the land where God's people were dwelling, behold, darkness and sorrow. And the light is darkened by the clouds. Rather than that land, that promised land, being a place of joy and blessing, a place of darkness and sorrow. 
And it's in the midst of that that we see Isaiah's experience of worship. So as we look into this passage this morning, I hope that you'll be encouraged that in the midst of the times that we're living, God is calling us as His people uh, to, to worship. And let, would you pray with me as we get ready to look into the text here that God's Spirit would just direct our heart and our thoughts as we look into this together. Father, you know right here represented in this room, Lord, are many feelings of loss and disappointment and pain and sorrow on so many levels, Lord. And yet you have called us as your your people for such a time as this. Lord, I pray that through your word, your spirit might clearly reveal yourself to our hearts and minds. And Lord, that in this moment, Father, we would fully embrace who you reveal yourself to be to us. And Lord, embrace your calling on our lives as your church to be the people you've called us to be for this moment. So, Lord, we look to your spirit to help us, to help open our, our minds, to help open our thoughts, our hearts, so that we might receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at who God has called us to be as a church in our worship of him, I want us to, to see th three things, three experiences that God desires that we have together as we worship. First of all, vision for seeing who the King is. Transformation, experiencing who the King desires us to be. And then mission, allowing the King to set our agenda. So let's look at verses 1 through 4 to together and we'll see this vision that Isaiah had of who the king is. Look, look at what the text says there in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died. Julie was telling me yesterday as we were talking about this, she uh, was re remembered uh, one other preacher talking about this passage. And she said, you know, we look at that and we're like, big deal, right? What's that matter for us? And the preacher said, well, if you were Uzziah, that would have mattered, right? But it did matter, and, and this is why. Historians tell us this was, this was probably about seven, 740 B.C., seven, 700 years before Jesus was on the face of the earth. And in the history of the nation of Judah, one of the longest and most prosperous reigns was that of this man named Uzziah. He began reigning when he was only 16 years old. Imagine that. Didn't have his high school diploma yet, and he's king. That's a little scary, right? Okay. Um, but he was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 52 years. Now, just maybe for some of you to help us get our minds around that, that would be like this guy still being president today, okay? Richard Nixon uh, became president of the United States in 1969. And if he were to reign for 52 years, he'd still be in the White House today. And, you know, so often when, when somebody that we feel is successful in their political administration, whether it be on a town level or state level or federal level. We desire to, for that person to be in office as long as we can because we, we feel like the longer they're in office, there can be continued success and stability with those, with those policies that we feel are, are, are helpful for those people that they're governing. That's why many times uh, there's, there's so much intensity and, and passion with elections in our country because we, we feel like whoever that candidate is, 
they will bring what the people uh, need. And so you have this man that the Bible tells us when, when, he's, when he started off his reign, he, he actually sought the Lord. He was willing to have not a reign in, instead of God, but a reign under God that would bring blessing to, to God's people. And with that, God allowed him to be strong and successful. Some of the things that he did militarily were incredible. Um, and he used Uzziah to bring much stability and, and prosperity to his people. So imagine uh, uh, a prosperous, a strong government for 52 years. But toward the end of his reign, the Bible tells us, in 2 Chronicles 26, 16, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. So rather than being that king under God, I'll be king instead of God. And the Bible tells us that that was to his destruction. And Uzziah's life ended and God allowing him to get leprosy. And here this strong and prosperous king died as a leper. And so Isaiah has this vision that leads him into experience of worship. When now there's huge question, what's going to happen with the stability of our nation? One of the things that was happening on the, on the world scene at that time as well, as you look at history back in, in, that, in that period, Assyria was becoming a, a, a stronger world power. Assyria, they had a reputation somewhat as the terrorist of the day. Now you have this strong king. The, king, the throne is vacated. What's going to happen to us as a nation? Just like their leader, the whole nation had begun to turn away from their God. But one commentator said this, this comment about when Uzziah died not only tells us when Isaiah had this vision, but it tells us the why of this vision. Alexander McLaren, who was a preacher in the late 18th century in England, he said this, he said, if the throne of Israel had not been empty, he would not have seen the throne God in the heavens. And so it is with all of our disappointments, with all of our losses, with all of our sorrows, with all of our disappointments. I think he was trying to emphasize that because he mentioned it twice. With all our pains, they have a mission to reveal to us the throned God. So let's imagine we are Isaiah this morning writing this book. How would we complete that statement? In the year that... And what, what sorrow, what pain, what loss, what disappointment comes to our mind? We started off the 9 o'clock service. John Thomas led our service in prayer, and he said, I, 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 I so appreciate what he said. He said, Lord, you have blessed us through this horrible virus with the ability to see you. What are those losses and those disappointments and those sorrows and those pains, what are they serving for in our lives? How are, they, how are they giving us a vision of who our king might be for us? We sang in that first song we sang this morning, we said, drive the doubt, I'm sorry, drive the dark of doubt away. And God would want us to know that just like for Isaiah, a difficult time, was an opportune time to worship. So our difficult time, our difficult moment, our difficult year, 
is an opportune time to worship as well. And what did Isaiah, what did he see in this vision? He said this, I saw the Lord, and the Hebrew word there that's used is the word Adonai, which has the idea of, of one who is a master, a sovereign. Maybe, maybe the, the most compatible word that we would use in English today would be boss, the one who's in charge. I saw the, the Lord sitting on a throne. And most of us, we don't sit on thrones. We sit on chairs, right? Throne designates a, a chair that represents a place of authority and, and power. And we see all through Scripture that many, many people who had visions or glimpses of God had the same, same vision of God on a throne. The prophet Micaiah in 1 Kings twenty two nineteen said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. David in Psalm 11 said, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The, the book of Revelation, the last, the last book in our, in our Bible, in the New Testament, 35 times John mentions the throne of God because it represents a place of authority. But notice what Isaiah says about this throne. He says, a throne high and lifted up. In other words, a throne that has a position above all other thrones, a throne that's superior, a throne that's above all. And then he adds this statement, and he said, and the train, a train referred to the lower half of a garment, and maybe if you've watched some, some movie like Lord of the Rings, you see these majestic monarchs or, or figures and they'll have these long flowing robes on that's that's kind of the idea that was part of the culture of the day and Isaiah uses that symbolism to say that this just the half of his garment filled the temple the the space of worship that had been designated for God's people wasn't big enough to hold him is the idea and just just painting this picture of grandeur and, and greatness. And re, remember the context here. Uzziah was no longer on his throne. Uzziah's body had been lowered into a grave. Uzziah's garments were no longer occupying any space. But there was a king, high and lifted up. And I don't know about you, but my heart so needs many times when, when my focus tends to be on the loss, on the, on the doubts, um, I, I tend to want to be on that throne to figure it out. But it's an opportune time for worship. And in this vision, Isaiah went on to say this. He said, above it, above this throne, stood seraphim. Now, it's really interesting, these creatures that he describes there. And we see in other places in, 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 in Scripture, the book of Revelation, where John talked about the scene of worship there around God's throne. We see a similar scene with, with creatures that, that aren't human creatures, but they're, they're some other created being. And, and look how it describes them. The word seraphim actually comes from a word that means to be on fire. So it basically means burning ones. These, these creatures were burning. They, were, they had this passion. And it describes them. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. So there's this picture of these Creatures around the throne, two of their wings are covering their faces, two of their wings are covering their feet, and then their other two wings are being used to, to fly. And, and the whole idea, their, their activity is just burning around one thing, one focus, one passion. 
And what is that focus? And one seraph cried to another seraph back and forth and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And if you notice the word Lord there, it has all caps because in some Bible translations they distinguish between the word Adonai and the word Jehovah. And this word is Jehovah. That was the name of personal relationship with God's people. So this master, this sovereign, is the God that has personal relationship with his people. That God who's the God of hosts, that God who's the God over all armies, whether human armies or celestial armies, he is the commander of them all. And there's this shout of holy, holy, holy to this God. The word holy I often understood for so long is just the, the idea of being morally pure. You know, God, 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 is, God is sinless. But, but the idea of that word is so much more than that. It has the idea of being distinct, of, of being set apart, of being, of being totally, totally different. I, I like to explain it to high schoolers when I, uh, my, my class here at school, I was like, it's like your toothbrush. Um, we tend to have several brushes in our bathrooms, but there's one particular brush that we use to, to clean porcelain with that we don't confuse with other brushes, right? That, that toothbrush is set apart for a very specific purpose. And if we ask somebody to help clean our bathroom and we find them using our toothbrush, that creates a lot of frustration and disgust, right? Okay? And the idea of God, that he's just, he's totally set apart. He's, he's totally different. There, there's something about him that is unique. One commentator said this, God's not a superman or the ultimate man. God's not merely smarter than any man, stronger than any man, older than any man, or better than any man. He's not like us, just bigger and nicer. He is in a different category. We sang it this morning, you stand alone. And the repetition here, repetition was often used in the Hebrew language to, to give emphasis. Ray Ortland said this, it isn't one plus one plus one. It's, it's rather holiness times holiness times holiness. In other words, God is totally unique. God is totally different to the ultimate degree. And a clear example of that is this next statement that, that Isaiah makes, or, or that Isaiah hears that the seraphim are making. The whole earth is full of His glory. Glory has the idea of the outward display of God's uniqueness. My son Zach, when he was five years old and we began homeschooling when he was in kindergarten, and I don't know how it came up, but in some discussion one day, we were talking about God's glory. And so we asked this little five-year-old boy, what do you think glory means? You know, we thought, he's not going to have any idea. We're going to have to correct him. And uh, he's, he's been correcting me every, ever since. It's like this wisdom that came out of the mouth of a babe, right? When we asked Zach what, what glory is, he said it's this. It's when the spotlight shines on one person on stage... And everything else fades into the background. That's, that statement could be translated like this. The fullness of all the earth is His glory. The, the fullness of all the earth allows God to be on stage in the spotlight just to shine on Him. The earth was totally empty. Everything that you and I see, 
in here, out there, wasn't. And, and there's, there's several explanations in our world today for how it got here. But God is revealing to us, it's here because of me. And that all of a sudden puts perspective on our futile attempts to be on that throne. Our futile attempts to put other things and other people on that throne. How, how do you explain the, the glory of springtime from random chance? Not, not just one color flower, but different colored flowers. Not just all shaped like dogwood petals, but some like a hyacinth petal. And just the variety and beauty. It's because there's someone who's totally different from us. He's not created. He's the creator. He's the king. He's on his throne. He's high and lifted up. Ray Ortland said this, created reality is a continuous explosion of the glory of God. You know, that's not just a Sunday morning reality. When we talk about worship being one of the purposes that God has given us as His church, God is not just creator in this space for this hour. And yet how often do I, I go through my Monday through Saturday, not seeking, not sensing the glory that's on display in all the earth. And Isaiah goes on to talk about how this glory affected the surrounding where he was and the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him. That seraph, as, they, as these seraphim were crying out, the, the, there was a literal shaking of the place and the house was filled with smoke, that smoke representing the presence of God. God's presence was very real and very, very felt by Isaiah in that moment. And that's where his worship started, with this vision of seeing the King for who He is. So what's that mean for us this week? If we're to be a people of worship, does that mean then that hey, we need to gorge on pizza tonight so maybe we'll have some bad dreams and have visions of God or whatever. Okay. No, right? Where do, we, where do we have that vision? Where do we see God? It's interesting, in John chapter 12, Jesus said this. These things Isaiah said, this was 700 years later, Jesus said this. These things Isaiah said, when he saw his glory, and spoke of him, Jesus talking about himself. Jesus said, when Isaiah saw this, you know who he saw? Me. So how do we see God? How do we see His glory on display? We can see it through nature, but we also see it even in a, in a clearer form in the fact of what God's Word to, reveals to us about Jesus, who He is, His, His life, how He lived, how He died. That death revealing to us how, how sinful man is. And yet how loving and how redeeming God is. 
His resurrection. Our Jesus is the living Lord. And so rather than our vision being distracted by lesser thrones, how we need a fresh vision this morning of seeing our God in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of doubts, seeing our God on His throne, high and lifted up. Worship starts with vision. Seeing the King for who He really is. And then worship leads to transformation. Experiencing the King change who we are. Notice what Isaiah says. It's actually a confession here that Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. That word woe in this context has the idea of, like, this is not good. It's the opposite of blessing. Many times we come seeking an experience of worship because we want to leave blessed. And that's a good expectation. But, but Isaiah's experience here left him feeling like this isn't good for me. He says, for, for I am undone. The, actual, the idea there is, as I, as I look at all this passionate praise to God's uniqueness, to how he, he is in control, how He's reigning, how He is totally different. And, and I look at my life and I look at my lips and I'm like, I, I've, I've been silent. I've been quiet is the idea there. When he realized how the burning passion of these creatures compares to his burning passion for who God is. And he says that because I'm a man of unclean lips. The idea of the word unclean there is polluted. Something that, that in, in, its, in itself is a is a source of goodness, but somehow it gets, it gets mixed, and, that, and then it doesn't serve for the purpose for which it ser- should serve. The, the, the town in Brazil where Julie, our family, used to live, beautiful beaches. It's actually an island that we lived on, and seven, seven beautiful beaches around this, this town. And we used to drive by them and look, look at them, um, but very, very rarely did we dip our toes in the water because the beautiful condominiums that were real, built right next to the shoreline dumped their raw sewage right into that water. And so something that could have, that looked like it would serve for like a refreshing enjoyment was not at all that because it was polluted. And Isaiah says, I look at what I say and what it reflects about my heart. There's pollution there. You see, Isaiah and his people, and he mentions his people there, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. They, they were having their religious activity. They were saying the right things. Later on in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, he said this, These people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And as as Isaiah gets a vision of this just burning passion for the praise of this eternal creator, king, and he, he looks at his own heart and he's like, man, this, what I'm saying polluted, reflects a heart that's distracted, that shares thrones. And he says, he gives his explanation for feeling that way because he says, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the midst of all his doubts, in the midst of his concern about the nation, he said, that's, that's where I see that my praise, my worship doesn't match up. But then God says this. 
God does this. Isaiah confesses, my worship doesn't match up to who you are. But then we'll look at what God does. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. So in this place of worship, there's an altar because sacrifices were made on that altar to allow the worshiper to be able to, to approach God. And it says that one of these seraphim take... Take one of these burning coals. The only thing I could think of that came, even came close was like, you know, sometimes when you're roasting marshmallows and you take the marshmallow off the stick too soon and try to throw it into your mouth kind of thing. But, it, I mean, that, that would not even come close to taking the piece of charcoal in the fire and put it on your mouth, right? But he said he takes this live coal, which represents the sacrifice, and he takes it. And he touches my mouth with it. Can you go back one slide there for me? Thank you, sir. And said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Isaiah sees how much his worship falls short. As he sees who's God, who, who God is, he sees who he is. And yet, God makes a way for him to become the worshiper that he needs to be. And just like Isaiah, God has made a way for our cleansing before the king so that we in his presence, rather than experiencing his curse, we can experience his blessing. We sang it this morning. He is our hope. He is our righteousness. Today we're made right with the king because that burning that coal that was burnt by God's wrath. That sacrifice is applied to us. And Jesus' perfect life, Jesus' perfect worship, every second, every day of His life, is applied to us. So that today in God's presence, we can be accepted. and changed and transformed to become the worshipers that God wants us to be. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So worship is, is not only meant to give us a glimpse of who God is, but worship is also meant to, to change us as we see who we are and how God makes a way for us to be in His presence. And then lastly, the third part of Isaiah's experience here in worship is this. As we're changed, as he was changed, then he allowed the king to set the agenda. Look at what he says in verse 8. He said, Also I heard the voice of the Lord. Remember, he's seen who the king is. He's been changed by him. So that now that alters the way that he hears him. He realized that what he says has authority. He deserves to be obeyed. He deserves to be listened to because of who he is. And he said, I heard this voice saying, ask this question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Did you catch that? Doesn't say whom shall we send and who will go for us or whom shall I send and who will go for me? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And most Bible scholars think that that's a veiled reference to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Even though God is king from day one when he created the earth, actually from day six, I guess I should say, God desired that his dominion, his reign, would be advanced 
would be established through man. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth and fill the earth. Always God has designed for his reign to be through co-regents. And here again, God in reestablishing his reign over his people, over the earth, who will go for us? Who will represent us? And look what Isaiah said. Then said Isaiah, Here am I. Send me. After seeing the king, after seeing this burning passion about who he is, about how everything around us is to display who he is, his glory, he said, that's my agenda. That's what I want my life to be about. I want my activity, I want my daily agenda to be all about the king. Alexander McLaren said this, the climax and crown of all worship is activity in obedience. Not just what we do here, but living it out through our lives. If we really believe what we say about him, who he is, it works itself out in Monday through Saturday. Paul said this, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's no separation between worship and mission. One of the resources that I've used to, to try to help me with this is, a, is a, a book called Every Moment Holy by Douglas McKelvey. I highly recommend it. You'd love it, I think. It has liturgies in here. Liturgies are just prayers that help us to bring God into the, to the moment. And, and it has liturgies in here for all kinds of daily activities. One of them is changing diapers, okay? So if you're in that phase of life, buy the book, read how to change diapers, okay? Um, it doesn't tell you how to change diapers, but it tells you how to bring God into the dirty moment, okay? Um, but here's one. One of the things that we like about warmer weather is the prospect of going to the beach, right? Here's one for arriving at the ocean. So how we, are we a people on mission even when we go to the beach? Listen to this. We praise you, O Lord, for our limits, limits you have given us for our good and for your glory. We praise you for this blessing. We praise you for the boundaries of our beings. You have made us finite creatures that we might be held and known. You have made us finite creatures that we might exult in the infinite wonders of your beauty, your majesty, your love, your power. We have traveled this day to the bounding sea, O Lord, to the far edge of the habitable land, and to, to the other end of our own measure and ability and strength to find here reminders of your limitless presence extended immeasurably beyond us. In this place, may we recall our blessed smallness. And it goes on to talk about the grandeur of the beach and and all the creatures in it, um, and bringing God, not bringing God into it, He's already in it, but recognizing God in, in that moment. If God is in the spotlight, in the fullness of the earth, in every place, in every second, then our lives are all about recognizing that and helping other people recognize that as well. Not just in what we say, but I, I appreciate how it was prayed this morning in, in how we live and how we display it in our lives. That's our call to worship. Having a vision for who our King is, 
as we see who he is, see who we are, and be transformed by him, and then as we're transformed by him, being a church on mission to display his glory to the world around us. Three questions to ask ourselves as we, I'm sorry, Trenton, can you go back? Thank you, sir. Three questions to help us as we reflect and apply this. Who or what is high and lifted up in my life? Not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday through Saturday. How have those disappointments, those losses, the things that we're struggling with right now, How are they serving for us to see the king on his throne when we leave here? We sang it. You will command the highest praise. Yours is the name above all names. You stand alone. I stand amazed. Jesus and here's where it's challenging for our lips to not be unclean, for our lips not to be polluted. Only Jesus. Because of that, as we see the pollution between how we live and what we say, how am I allowing the Spirit of God to change me within? the reasons our world I think has a dif difficulty sometimes seeing this glory of God displayed through our lives because we tend to transmit sometimes talking about myself here that I've got every, I've got everything in my right in my, I've got my Jesus ticket now and I, everything's right in my life you're the one who needs to change one of the ways that we display the glory of God through our life is allowing our life to continue to be a demonstration of God changing us. Rather than, that's just who I am. It's not about who we are. It's about who He is. And lastly, how is my daily agenda giving a show and tell to the glory of God? That's what we're here for. And what we say but not only what we say, but in how we live and what we do. This is who our king is. And showing that through our lives. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I just want to give you a moment before the Lord to reflect on anything that he might be saying to you and just... Express back to him. Just like Isaiah. What you feel you need to say to God in this moment. Before who he is. You know the good news for us this morning is that. The only perfect worshiper who ever lived on this planet was our Lord Jesus himself. Because our king is a rescuing and redeeming king. And he came here to live his life for us. To make his Monday through Saturday all about worship. So that we this morning could find his forgiveness. But not only find his forgiveness, but through his resurrected life, find his power for our Monday through Saturday. Lord, I confess I am a man of unclean lips. Lord, so many times I've stood in this place and belted out praise to you, Lord, that is totally totally denied by my actions on Monday morning. And Lord, I desire 
that you would work in my life that more and more the glory of who you are, your authority over all this earth, the obvious evidence of your creative hand, Lord, on this world. Lord, that that rule would truly reign in my life. And Lord, help us as your people as we seek to regroup and regather during a difficult time, Lord. God, may you encourage our hearts that in the midst of all that we are struggling with, Lord, that you truly are on your throne. May we see our Jesus high and lifted up, Lord, and we claim his forgiveness this morning for all those times that we've not gotten it right, but we also, Lord, this morning claim his power to help us this week to be the people on mission that you've called us to be. Lord, we rejoice in you revealing yourself to us. We rejoice in allowing us as your people to be on mission with, with you, and we just look forward, God, to how you're going to continue to work in and through us because of your greatness and your goodness. In the name of our Jesus, who makes it all possible, amen. Just have one quick thing to show you. You know, Isaiah said the whole earth is full of his glory. Here's an example of that in Zambia, Africa, where we support Pastor Leonard Boyer.